what is up, everybody? Welcome into Lockdown Tigers. I'm your host, Chris Castellani. It is Wednesday, March 3rd, 2021. Thank you very much for tuning in today. There was a Tigers spring training game yesterday with some very interesting storylines. We saw the first at-bat by Spencer Torkelson. We saw Casey Mize make his first appearance. Willie Castro stayed hot. We're going to be discussing all of that, and I promise I'm going to make up for it in the last segment plus by talking about some some nice juicy Tigers news. But I do have to start off by talking about what, what was the big news in baseball yesterday. You know, Several weeks ago, Katie Strang helped write that piece about soon-to-be former pitching coach Mickey Calloway, who was formerly the manager for the New York Mets and the pitching coach for the Cleveland Indians for a long time, talked about some of his reprehensible behavior in regards to how he acted towards female journalists, and the story that was written about him several weeks ago was primarily about his behavior. But there was a follow-up piece that was posted yesterday that basically said that this had gone on forever, and not only had it gone on forever, because I think in general most people believe that this didn't start when he was a pitching coach for the Indians. It didn't start when he was the manager for the Mets. Pretty much most people believe that this had gone on for a long time. The question was whether or not his employers knew about this. And the report that came out yesterday proved that the answer to that, unfortunately, was yes, they did. This behavior became official, became knowledge within the organization back in 2011 when Mickey Calloway sent a, as this gentleman put it, a pornographic picture to another man's wife at one point, and the behavior just continued. I'm not going to read off the whole article because, I mean, part of it, it's just, it's, it's a tough read, uh, and so I don't really want to read it here on a baseball podcast, but this guy, this man, I mean, if there was any doubt before, which there shouldn't have been, this guy is a brazen, misogynist, creep, weirdo, pervert, and that was proven in both these articles that have come out on The Athletic. I've heard some people speak. I've heard some people talk about these kind of shows that I do. And I've heard whispers from people. I know how people think right now. I know that there's people who believe that my passion regarding this stuff is disingenuous because, I maybe because I'm not a woman, I guess. First of all, this story happened. All of this happened because people didn't speak up. So I'm going to talk about it. So that's one. And two, abuse doesn't just happen to women, people. This kind of stuff, like this bullying this gaslighting, this doesn't happen just to women. And it's something that I'm, I'm very, very passionate about. So I'm going to discuss it. We know how brutal his behavior was. And so I'm not going to spend a whole lot more time talking about it. My focus here is on the Cleveland Indians organization. And it's where my heart breaks a little bit today because over the last several seasons, really the last half decade, I'd been so complimentary of the Indians organization. I loved how they went about their their business. They had an, a likable team. They did a great job of constructing a good roster through the farm system and likable players like Francisco Lindor and Jason Kipnis and Carlos Carrasco. And many of those guys do still remain likable players. I'm not necessarily putting it all on them, but one of the biggest reasons why I loved that organization so much or why I respected that organization so much for a long time was because of Terry Francona. I thought Terry Francona far and away was like the number one manager in baseball for a long time. And he probably had one or two years left and he was going to ride off into the sunset as one of the most respected managers ever. He is still probably going to end up being a Hall of Fame manager. But he spoke as highly of Mickey Calloway when he was hired by the Mets as anyone. I believe his exact words were the Mets just hired a star. Now, Terry Francona has always had a cool 
grandpa kind of vibe to him. And the reason I bring that up is because I think there was, it was reasonable to assume that maybe he didn't know. When you look at this kind of behavior and you look at how consistent this kind of behavior was from Mickey Calloway, I think it was reasonable to assume that perhaps he did a lot of this kind of under the table stuff. He went behind people's backs with some of, when he exhibited some of this behavior and a lot of people didn't notice. So in that aspect, I was willing to give the Indians organization the benefit of the doubt. But yesterday, this article came out and said everyone knew about it. Terry Francona knew about it. And then Nick Francona, Terry Francona's son, who, and I, I apologize for this. Maybe y'all are going to think that I'm not a, a smart baseball mind. I didn't know Terry Francona had kids. I didn't. But Nick Francona, who's a grown adult, posted a statement on his personal Twitter account that said, and I'll, I'll read it off here, I was disappointed to read the reporting in The Athletic this morning. Unfortunately, I cannot say that I am surprised. When the news about Mickey Calloway's behavior first came out earlier this year, I confronted my father, Chris Antonelli, and others within the Cleveland organization. I wanted to know why they didn't say anything to me when the Mets hired Mickey Calloway and they gave him a strong endorsement. My father lied to me and said he didn't know. Additionally, I think he and his colleagues failed to understand what is acceptable behavior and what isn't. I confronted my father again this morning, and it is clear that he said, Simply doesn't get it. I am hesitant to get into my personal details of my family situation, but my father and I do not have a particularly close relationship, largely as a result of disagreements about his conduct, which some of which has been reported over the years and some of which has not. So, I mean, Terry Francone is done. He's going to get fired here pretty soon. If he doesn't, maybe they let him manage one more year, then he's gone. But his health had, hadn't been good for a while, and I... I'm so disappointed by this because I really did appreciate and respect Terry Francona for so long. And we've been finding out more and more over the last several years that you never truly know people. What, how people act in public is a hell of a lot different than how they act in private. And reading that statement, it just it made me sad because we're talking about stuff that goes beyond just baseball. We're talking about a father and son relationship. Nick Francona didn't ask for any of this. You can't choose your parents. So reading it yesterday, it was just, it was a great disappointment. I, my heart breaks for so many of the Cleveland Indians fans that I know. That's a wonderful fan base. And I was reading a lot of their tweets and they were, they were very respectful and and they talked about how they were disappointed and they felt embarrassed and they were ashamed. I had somebody who'd been following me on Twitter for a long time who said that, you know, he had a, a short conversation with Mickey Calloway several years ago and now he's ashamed of it. He feels, he feels weirded out that he ever even spoke of this guy in, in, in a friendly manner. I mean, so many people today feel dirty, feel guilty. And the most frustrating part is that so many people turned the other cheek. Because you can't, you cannot blame the victims themselves for not speaking up. To speak up about something that that had happened to you, a moment in your life in which you were victimized or abused or attacked, is one of the most difficult things a person can possibly do. The people who should be responsible for reporting this stuff, the people who should be responsible for disciplining people when they act up, is the organization, are the people in power. And it seems here that the Cleveland Indians organization had so many chances to snuff this thing out, and they never did. The improved built bar is even more deliciouser. 18 amazing flavors, 6 new flavors, 12 other original flavors. Bars are covered in 100% chocolate, soft and easy to chew, and built bars are healthy. Built bar is great for the health conscientious guy or girl. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Bars are low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, great for the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your next order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com.
Before we start segment number two, where we continue to talk about the Mickey Calloway story and thus the Cleveland Indians story, I want to let you know that this segment is going to be brought to you by Locked On Today. I'm covering everything you need to know about the Tigers, but what about the rest of sports? Now the Locked On Podcast Network has you covered there as well with Locked On Today. It's hosted by the great Peter Bukowski, and it's all the sports news you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to Locked On Today wherever you get your podcasts. You know what would have been a wonderful uh, ending to this story? A wonderful little epilogue is if it would have came out that Mickey Calloway in 2011 acted inappropriately. The organization confronted him about it, disciplined him, and they said that if it happened again, he'd be out of a job. He then went to sensitivity training, apologized to the woman who he victimized and her husband and the woman that he himself was dating at the time. He made amends, and 10 years later, he's viewed as one of the more professional people in baseball. What a wonderful ending that would have been to the story, that you had a guy who made a serious mistake, a stupid mistake, and learned from it, apologized, made amends with who he had to make amends with, and moved on. That, that would have been wonderful, but that never happens because too many people allow it. And being in that situation, I understand that there are pressures that come with being a part of a baseball organization where there's millions of dollars at stake and you have a fan base that's that's behind you. I, I get that, but I don't understand this. I, I, I try to, in every situation, put myself in the shoes of of someone within that organization. And every time I go through that scenario, I can't help but feel like I would have acted differently. I can't help but feel like so many people I know would have acted differently because so many people use common sense and have basic human decency. Because this, this isn't Houston. This isn't the Astros. This isn't the sign-stealing stuff. And, and I had people on my ass for months telling me, you need to hit the Astros harder. You just like Houston. You suck up to that fan base. Blah, blah, blah. And you know what? Some of them were right. I did. I was in denial for a long time. I talked about that literally yesterday on the podcast, so I'm not going to reiterate it. But you know what? At the end of the day, part of the reason why I didn't hit them as hard as many other people did is because I understand there were legacies that were changed throughout the game of baseball. I understand that there was money loss and a championship stolen, but every single one of those players gets to live out a dream every day. They get to wake up and suit up for a major league baseball team. That's a dream. At the end of the day, the banging of trash cans and the stealing of signs, well, it's it's poor gamesmanship and it's terrible sportsmanship and it shouldn't have happened in baseball. It's still part of a kid's game. This is not. You guys remember Ray Rice? You remember that story? For people who don't remember or maybe don't follow the NFL as closely, in, I believe it was fall of 2014, Ray Rice was suspended for four games for violating the NFL's domestic abuse policy. A few days after his suspension, a video came out of him brutally, uh, savagely, beating his girlfriend, punching her square in the face, punching her, un knocking her unconscious in an elevator, and dragging her unconscious body out of an elevator. It was a brutal brutal video to watch. It was absolutely horrifying. He then got released by the Baltimore Orioles amid you know, public pressure. He was never given another shot in the NFL, but I just, this was random. I mean, it's just a weird kind of coincidence. I, I googled Ray Rice a few days ago just because I hadn't heard the name in a while and found out that he has spent much of his post-playing career talking with people about the damage of domestic abuse. And you know what? He did an awful, awful thing, a despicable thing, a thing that you shouldn't be allowed back from. But I give the guy credit for owning up to it and, and trying to make the best out of an awful, awful situation, a, an awful situation that he was responsible for. I would be far more inclined to give that guy a second chance than to give Callaway or Terry Francona a second chance at this point. 
Be- because there really is something to be said about behavior that lasts so long. And especially when you're, I mean, what was Callaway in his mid-30s doing this? Like, the, when you read this article and you see just the way he talked about women, I mean, this is, and I don't even make, mean to make a joke here, this is like sexism out of, out of 1950. Like, the way he talked about women, referring to them as beef. You know, where's the beef? Come on, dude, what are you, seven? Yeah, I, I know I'm hammering a dead horse here, and I apologize, but... I did feel like it would have been kind of disingenuous after I spent so much time talking about it several weeks ago to just ignore the kind of second part of this chapter. So there's going to be a lot of change in the Cleveland Indians organization here pretty soon. I don't know who's going to survive and who isn't, but maybe it's a good thing that they're rebuilding and not spending any money and trading all away all their good players. Maybe this is penance for the clubhouse culture that they helped create over the last several seasons, really the last decade since uh, Callaway had been a part of it. So so that'll do it for, I don't know, either segment one or two. I, I don't know how I'm going to break these up at this point, but we'll be back here in just a minute talking about Tiger Spring training game, where I told you I'm going to I'm gonna save it at the end. We're going to talk about some more upbeat stuff. Tigers played a pretty fun spring training game yesterday that I'm excited to talk about. See you later. Football might be over, but NBA, college basketball, and NHL are in full swing. And Bet Online even covers awards, TV shows, and reality TV with real time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. Before we start segment number three, I want to let all of you know that this segment is brought to you by Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Fantasy Baseball Addicts, you now have a new resource to help give you an advantage in your leagues, and that's Locked On Fantasy Baseball. It's a daily fantasy baseball podcast hosted by veteran fantasy analyst Scott Cullen, who uses data in nearly two decades of fantasy baseball experience to offer the strategies and waiver wire pickups that lead to league wins. Season-long fantasy Dynasty Leagues, DFS, Locked On Fantasy Baseball covers it all. Subscribe to Locked On Fantasy Baseball wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back for segment number three, everybody. Yes, I spent two segments there talking about the Mickey Calloway story. My hope is that this is the end of it. Now, if if something happens and Francona ends up getting fired, I'm not going to spend half a show on it. But this one, it, it got under my skin. And I felt like I had to talk about it, and now I did. Now let's talk about some actual fun stuff. The Tigers, they played a baseball game yesterday. It was a five-inning game. They won 6-1, to one, but there's some intriguing storylines that I am really, really excited to talk about today. First off, Casey Mize pitched his first outing of the spring. Two scoreless innings, three walks, and three strikeouts. Now before I jump into what I saw from this outing, I will say that you got to take this with a grain of salt for two reasons. One... It's his first outing. Like We take, in spring especially, where we yearn so much for baseball, we take every single one of these outings and, and pick them apart, even if it is just two innings. And two, A.J. Hinch said he thought Casey Mize threw the ball well and was happy with how he pitched. I, I, I'm i inclined to believe A.J. I do. I, I, this is a, a an honest man when it comes to talking about his players. Now, he was never, he never ripped his players. I think he was too too much of a player's manager to do that. But when you watch him in Houston and how he talked about his players, you know, if a guy didn't pitch well, he'd say, this guy's got to pitch better, or he left some pitches up, or he didn't attack the strike zone the way we wanted him to. He's he's very diplomatic when it comes to how he talks about his his pitchers, especially. And he, he said he felt like Mize threw the ball well yesterday. Two innings of scoreless ball, three walks, three strikeouts, 45 pitches in two innings, 25 of them strikes. Personally, 
I was a little bit disappointed with what I saw out of Mize yesterday. You know, and I know a lot of people are going to think I'm overreacting. A lot of people are going to are going to disagree with me. That's fine. Still like Mize a lot. Still think he's going to be really good. But one of the issues he ran into at the major league level last year, which was not an issue that he he'd run into at all throughout the minor leagues, was strike throwing. He had a lot of like 20 plus pitch innings where couldn't locate the cutter, had trouble with the fastball, was was put burying the slider in the dirt, bouncing it to the point where it became a a non competitive pitch. Saw a lot of that from him yesterday, too, even in two innings. I think, what was it, like five or something, three ball counts, three walks, like I said, did have those three strikeouts. It seemed like all the off-speed stuff that he was offering yesterday wasn't necessarily working, so he went back to his heater, and he had success with his with his heater. And I think that was something last year that was bothering him a bit, and even he's talked about that, where he was he was locating his fastball fine, but in the minor leagues, I think he got by with... Fastball strike one, fastball strike two, splitter, cutter, slur for strike three. I mean, it was kind of a predictable pitch sequence. When you get to the major leagues, that cannot last. We saw him realize that. We saw him learn that in his first start. Remember how dynamic he looked through four innings in his first start against the White Sox? And the reason for that, getting ahead in counts, locating his fastball, locating his cutter, getting strike three with the splitter. He, he, he You're not able to do that once you get past a few starts. Once people got... Once once guys get film on you, it becomes much t- much more difficult to retire guys. Yesterday, I was seeing cutters and slurves earlier in counts, and then when he was falling behind, he was going back to his fastball, and he was locating it quite effectively. Look, the stuff is great. The stuff is always going to be great. Unless there's some sort of catastrophic injury, knock on wood a million times that that doesn't happen, Casey Mize's stuff is always going to be excellent. You don't go number one overall in the draft unless you have good stuff. Like, like no Ryan Carpenter didn't get picked number one overall by the Tigers several years ago. It was Casey Mize. The guy was dynamic. He was electric in college. The stuff is really good. What he needs to focus on is, is pitch sequencing, I believe. I think that's one thing that bothered him a lot last year was he became rather predictable with, with his pitch selection and location. Now, thankfully, as I've brought up many times, those things are extremely correctable. You can't correct stuff. If you have a fastball that's peaking at 90, unless you're taking PEDs, it's not going to be bumped up to 96 thanks to one offseason. Location, you can work on. Strike throwing, you can work on. Pitch selection, you can work on. And it's where I I think the addition of Chris Fetter is really going to do this team a lot of good. I've I've talked ad nauseum. Rick Anderson isn't here anymore, so I don't want to bury the guy. But I've talked many times about how I feel like many of the pitchers in this organization were held back because of the very archaic system of pitching that was taught here over the last several years. Now, in some cases, I don't think it made a difference. You could give uh, Ryan Carpenter, any any pitching coach in the world, they're not going to turn the guy into Clayton Kershaw. Like Some guys were DOA, but in certain instances, like what like Mize last season or Scooball or Spencer Turnbull, I feel like there's another gear that, that can be found by getting a new pitching coach in there, and that's why I am so excited to have Chris Fetter as a part of of this staff. Spencer Torkelson saw his first spring training action yesterday, got one at bat, drew a walk. That was a solid at bat, worked a 3-2 count. The last pitch of the AB was way up and in, nearly hit him in the face. Thank God it didn't. And he ended up drawing a walk. Good for him. Look, I believe in Spencer Torkelson a lot. I think he's going to be a wonderful player here. He is the best draft prospect that the Tigers have had 
arguably ever. I mean, may, you could maybe put Verlander ahead of him, but it took Verlander a few years in the minor leagues before people went, okay, this guy's might might be something really, really special. You know, this is a number one pick that everyone viewed would be the consensus number one pick, and one of the reasons why he was so lauded was his ability to get on base, was his patience. I talked about that with Riley Green a bit yesterday, but the difference is Riley Green, I think, has developed that kind of eye at the plate. He was very raw when the Tigers drafted him, Spencer Torkelson was pretty seasoned coming out of Arizona State. I mean, you look at his OBP his last two years at Arizona State, it was absolutely ridiculous. And now a lot of that comes from the fact that dude had massive pop and you're not going to try to give this guy that many pitches to hit in any given at-bat. But I would not be surprised to see him struggling a little bit out of the gate. Didn't yesterday in his one-plate appearance. I'm, I'm happy to see that. But Spencer Torkelson was drafted number one overall in June when he was about two or three months removed from seeing any sort of actual in-game action, struggled a little bit in summer camp last year in the limited action that he saw, and a reason for that was because he'd gone a long time without seeing the the flow, the speed of a, of a normal baseball game, and we've kind of had to go through that again this offseason. He's going to have to take his lumps and learn. I think he's going to grow really quickly because I think he's as naturally talented as any prospect this organization has had in 20, 30 years, especially if we're talking about position players. There's maybe a few pitchers, like I said, if you want to argue Verlander, sure, but in terms of position players, he has no equal. So a nice little start to his spring training career. Happy for Spencer Torkelson. But one other piece I got to talk about here. Willie Castro, two for two yesterday with three RBIs and a home run. Homered in his first at-bat again yesterday. You know, it's so early and you don't want to get your hopes up, but one of the reasons why I've honed in on this guy a little bit more is because A.J. Hinch honed in on him. When asked who are some players that you're excited to see, one of the first people that he brought up was Willie Castro. It wasn't Jacoby Jones. It wasn't Spencer Turnbull. It wasn't any of the, the relief pitchers who pitched some pretty good baseball for him last year. It was Willie Castro. I'm, I'm not going to repeat myself again, but hey, I, I might end up doing it anyway. We know what the situation was with him last year. Very good numbers. Baseball savant page. Many analytics support the fact that he was very lucky a season ago. But, you know, maybe luck will lead way to talent. You know what I mean by that? Like, maybe he will learn to hit at the major league level. In fact, I wouldn't doubt it. There's many people who believed that this guy had the intangibles to be a solid major league hitter. Many people doubted his defense. But again, that's the type of stuff that you learn down in the minor leagues. And he's had several seasons in the minor leagues to learn. And if it doesn't work with him at shortstop, you can move him to second base because I will stay firm with this belief. I don't care if Willie Castro hits 900 this season. The Tigers sure as hell better sign one of the five free agent shortstops who are going to be available next offseason. I don't care how good Willie Castro is. I don't care if he's Andrelton Simmons defensively. I want an established guy at shortstop next season. And if you have one, then you could maybe move Willie Castro to second. And who knows? Maybe Isaac Paredes will be the future DH. Or maybe you can move him to third for a season before Torque gets called up. There's There's no such thing as having too many hitters. There's no such thing as having too many options. And if it means moving a guy around the diamond defensively, you know what? So be it. The Tigers were a terrible, terrible defensive team from 2011 to, I mean, they had been for a long time, really that their heyday there, but that 2011 to 2014 run, they were never very good defensively. And they moved Miguel Cabrera, who wasn't even a good first baseman, to third base, and he was awful. But you know what? I will make that move 10 times out of 10 because it meant in the middle of your lineup, you had Prince Fielder and Miguel Cabrera hitting back-to-back, and I will take that 
every day of the week. You don't have to worry about losing games defensively if you're winning them offensively. And the one thing that this organization has needed, I don't know why I'm so passionate about this. I'm like listening to my voice right now, and I'm really, really enthused. I don't know why. But the one thing this organization has lacked for several seasons that many people, including myself, have talked about has been a, a strong amount of solid hitters, solid position players within the organization. Now, I gave them a lot of credit for how they addressed that in the draft a season ago, that five-round draft. I thought they had a tremendous haul. You've had Green. You've had Torkelson. You've added more bats. If you can hit with a guy that a lot of people didn't think you may hit on, in this case, that person being Willie Castro, it kind of changes the entire outlook of the organization. And I talked about them yesterday, and I criticized them a bit yesterday when talking about the Houston Astros. But as I said, I think the Astros would have been good enough to win the World Series anyway in 2017, even without the sign-stealing stuff. And you look at that core that they built with Bregman and with Springer and with Correa, all those guys, highly touted first-round caliber prospects. You can put Keuchel in there as well, but the the straw that stirred the drink there, the reason why they became so successful was that you had a guy in Jose Altuve who you signed uh, internationally for like $50,000 in 2006 or something like that. He was the guy who became the MVP. If you want to rebuild and you want to load up on prospects, hey, that's great. I encourage it. Fine. But you do at some point need to hit on a guy that a lot of people don't think you're going to hit on. And if that person turns out to be Willie Castro, then you know what? My opinion on this rebuild as a whole, it it may end up changing a little bit. Because it's one thing that I've criticized the organization for is their inability to hit on kind of those mid-level prospects. I mean, we've seen what's happened with Jake Rogers. We've seen what's happened with Kristen Stewart. If you can have the opposite effect with someone like Willie Castro, then maybe we're making lemonade. Maybe we're moving forward a little bit. And dear God, I sure hope that happens. All right, so that will do it for today's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. You can follow the show on Twitter at LockedOnTigers. While you're at it, go to Apple Podcasts, go to iTunes, leave a written positive five-star review of this program. It would be much, much appreciated. I will be back here tomorrow covering more Tigers news, more baseball news, talking about spring training, all that fun stuff. We are inching ever so closer to opening day, and man, I'm so excited. We will be back here tomorrow. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Have a great rest of your day, and go Tigers.